Gold Shield for Fleetwood, the overall company. And in the shipping and delivery office, I had a small TV and naturally the news broke in showing the events that were taking place. It seemed as though time stood still as I watched that second plane fly into the tower. None of our children here today have a frame of reference for that. It's, it's been over 20 years and they're not that old. They don't have a frame of reference for such a disaster. But unfortunately, unfortunately they will experience tragedies of their own. Our world has seen many tragedies in our history. We've had wars like the Civil War, World War I, WW2, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, and even today we have war with Russia and Ukraine. There have been financial disasters like the Great Depression or many recessions that we have faced, some in my lifetime, some in yours. I don't think there's any depression era here, people. Is there? Well, yeah, maybe as a child. It's a child. We have seen civil disasters against humanity in our world and country. Things like save, slavery, racism, abortion, and the millions of lives that have been taken. The slaughter of 800,000 people in Rwanda. We have the Holocaust. And the list goes on and on. And as we look at the world situation with all of its gloomy uncertainty and all of its tension and unrest, we see all of the evil in high places, the ungodly nations and leaders making a bid for their own supremacy instead of the supremacy of God. It can make you feel kind of discouraged. Now this is a total flip on last week, isn't it? The last time I preached, I was preaching on encouragement. Bear with me. We're going to be encouraged this morning. But discouragement about the future of everything in history says evil's going to continue, at least for a time. When I start to feel this way, I think of a great passage to read, and that is Psalm chapter 2. It has a way of comforting my heart and it reminds me that God is in control. It reminds me that this is my Father's world. He created it. He still rules over it and that one day righteousness will triumph. So what's so special about this psalm in chapter 2? Well, let's read it and listen to God as He speaks out of His Word to us, His people, against the rulers of this world. It reads like this, Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, 
and the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will become angry, and your way will lead you to destruction, lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Obviously talking, God is talking about Jesus here. In this psalm, there are four stanzas of three verses each. Each one is perfectly balanced and each is almost the same number of words in them, which is kind of, kind of fun. The picture in each stanza is perfectly finished without the slightest hint of hurry. It's not crowded. It is excellently written. In some ways it moves from scene to scene and it reminds me of a, of a good movie. On the one hand you have the camera on the bad guys and on the other hand you have the camera on the good guys and the camera pans back and forth as you intertwine the stories as it builds to the end. My oldest son, Nathan, he is a college professor in film and communications. His master's degree is in screenplay writing. When he was in college, he and another guy made a film that won the top award at the college film festival. He actually went to Hollywood, California to accept their award. It cost me a new suit, a tuxedo shirt, and tie. <laughs> he did pay for his own airfare. But I tell you all that to say that Nathan would be proud of me to look at this passage in Psalms like the scenes of a great play or movie. And it just goes so smoothly. Let's look at the psalm scene by scene. It's formed in four stanzas, as I said earlier. The first stanza is, Humanity, Human society rebels against God's anointed Messiah. And in the second scene, we have provoking God's scorn and sure judgment. The third is God has decreed that his son will rule the earth. And then the fourth, it is essential that we submit now. And by taking refuge in the son, we find blessing rather than destruction. So let's look more closely at this. Scene one, the rebellious man. Verse 1 says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Already, in vain. We know their plot is in vain. 
There's this wild commotion as the nations and the people rush madly into one place, one central place. Their purpose for this gathering is to set in motion a well-planned revolt against their leader. And that rebellion is against the Lord and His Son, Jesus. And then in verse 2 and 3, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The psalmist here can't understand and so he asked the question, why would men do this? How can they be so silly to even think they can do this? Do we see this happening today? Nations conspiring, nations against God. I mean, it's not just an America thing, it's all over. And every day men and women are doing it. They think they can get along without God. Every day there, is, there are those living their lives in rebellion against God and against the things that are holy. Now let's break that down a little bit. We just went from nations to sometimes us. Are we rebelling against God? against the holy things? How disappointing must it be to God for us to think how, can, how we can do this all on our own? We don't need God in our homes. We don't need God in our schools. We don't need God in our nation. And some have even gotten to the point where they think we don't even need God in the church. Do you know one of the most heartbreaking things to see as a pastor and as a Christian is to see young people leave home, go off to school, get a job and or get married. Then they start a new home with a new town and their, no, and their own family. And all the while they're throwing off those bands that had tied them to spiritual things of God the things they were taught, the things that we raised them in, we tried to teach them. And they go off and they don't find a new church or a church family, and they just quietly drift away. It's as if they're saying, I'm going to captain my own ship, my own fate. I'm the master of my own soul. And there are religions that are teaching that. We take advantage of God's grace, believing that we'll have a chance to make things right and sneak in through the back door of heaven. But it doesn't happen that way. You may not have the opportunity you'll think you'll have. Tragedy often happens so fast you barely have time to think about your own soul. I know this is not in my 
sermon, but I used to think that way. I used to think that way. I used to think that, you know, I'm going to live where I want to live. And then if things go south, if I'm in a car wreck or something, I'll just pray and get in there. I had been saved, I was already a Christian at the time that I realized how stupid that was. But I was driving my dad's brand new Dodge Omni home one night from a date with Kim and I fell asleep. And I'm waking up and I'm in the edge of the side ditch. And, and, and I think, I, I pull it back on the road, but I overcorrect. So I'm now in this side ditch. And, and, and going back and forth, and I'm losing control of the vehicle. And I'm thinking, if I can just get through that bridge, even if I land out in the field, I'll be okay. I hit the bridge. I hit the bridge embutment. Ripped all of the undercarriage out of the vehicle, rolled it I don't know how many times because at that point I wasn't awake. I say that to say I didn't have time to think about my soul. I didn't have time to think about anything but survival. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I can survive. I didn't think God could take me home right now and I would be lost. The same thing could be said with a heart attack. The same thing could be said with... I mean, how many times have you heard it said that they hit the ground before they knew they were in trouble? You just can't play that dangerous game. Our world and our nation is just like the people and nations mentioned here in the first three verses. But now, let's look at God's response. Scene two, God's response. Verses four through six. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. This scene takes place in heaven. As the camera pans in, we see God, our Father, sitting on the throne, in His throne room, laughing. He's not alarmed. He's not disturbed by what men are doing. It's not a ha-ha kind of laugh. It's simply a chuckle that Man's belief that they can rebel against him, he's kind of mocking them. I mean, it's kind of like a, a, an ant that's walking across the floor and he's carrying this leaf. And the leaf weighs ten times more than that ant can lift. And that ant's looking up at me and says, I'm lifting ten times more than I, my body weight. So what? That's us, and that's God. 
We look up at God and rebel and say, ah, what are you going to do? You're nothing. I created everything on this world. I created the universe. What? You're going to threaten me with something? I, I don't get that. He speaks to them in His wrath. And He disturbs them with His displeasure. And He tells them, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. He is saying Jesus sits on the throne in heaven. It's Jesus that sits on the throne. Your name's not on it. Your name's in the book if you want it to be. But you're not on the throne. He is. He's letting everyone know that when it's all said and done, He has the final say. Man can plan rebellions all they want. But Jesus is still the King. This scene encourages me. It encourages me because I know that Islamic terrorism will not win out. It encourages me because the evil plans of different nations will not win out. God has already set His Son upon the throne and one day every nation of people will bow down at His feet. It's encouraging that our country will one day return to God. Even though we have turned our back on Him, even though we have tried to break the cords that have made us a great nation, even though we have kicked God out of homes, schools, and churches, it is great to know that He is still in control. And when everything is over, He has the last word. Scene 3. God's intention, His Son. Verses 7 through 9. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son today, and I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with the rod of iron. You will dash them into pieces like pottery. The son, Jesus, is thrilled at what his father has spoken. And now he speaks. Now Jesus is speaking. Jesus speaks of God's choice of him and as the ruler who will carry out the Father's divine plan for his creation. The plan for judgment. The plan for chastisement. The plan for warfare against evil forces. And the plan of ultimate victory. Here comes the action. We see that in these verses... There is a battle to finish. However, no one can stand before God's anointed. God has destined him to be the ruler of the world. Philippians 2, 9-11 Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
He will become the ruler of everything. He will be victorious. Even if he has to break people and nations like a potter breaks his clay. If it didn't come out right, he breaks it and starts over. And that is exactly what he does, has done in many cases. Powerful nations have crumbled. Kings, presidents, leaders, they have fallen. If he has the ability to, sub, to subdue and break nations and rebel against him, that rebel against him, I wonder why we think that we as individuals have a chance at getting away with rebellion. Well, it's, I'm in secret. I'm doing... Shh. Nobody has to know. I wonder if we actually think we can stand in the way of the progress of God's kingdom. I wonder if we really believe that we can block the progress of God's plan. God will break in pieces those who stand in His way. He has done it many times before. The serpent couldn't do it. Pharaoh couldn't do it. King Herod couldn't stop God's plan. Caesar and the Jewish leaders tried and failed. Adolf Hitler tried to be world supreme ruler, but he couldn't do it. No one or thing will be able to survive if they try to block the progress of God's work. No individual, no nation, no church, no church member. What? Wait, what do you mean by church member? There are times when even well-meaning, good people lose sight of God's will for His church. It's funny how we talked about that in Sunday school, isn't it? They end up seeking their own selfish desires on their own perceived wisdom. And if, they, and if you've been a Christian very long, you've seen it. They, they think they know what's best. They use their own wisdom instead of God's wisdom. And it's got to become their way instead of God's way. Scene four. The grand finale. God's inv invitation. It says, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss His Son, or He will be angry and your way will lead you to destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment blessed are all who take refuge in him the poet gives a solemn warning to all of the judges and kings of the earth and really to all who on earth would rebel against the great Jehovah in light of what has been said he comes here comes a word of wisdom. Undoubtedly, they can see just how silly it is to try to rebel against God 
and His anointed. Rebellion and revolt will only bring ruin, but faith brings salvation. I find it interesting how differently people see the same thing. I was raised in the rural Indiana Bible Belt area, right, right in this general area. That way a little bit. Not much. I am unapologetically a conservative in my values and opinions. I have a cousin, however, who was raised very differently. She was raised in the inner city area of Lansing, Michigan. Her values and opinions are very different from mine. We would call them liberal in nature. But the funny thing is, the very same issues I see as wrong with liberalism, she sees as wrong with conservatism. And that just, when I was, and that's what, you know, this is the Facebook stuff, you know, so it just kind of blew my mind that the same things I think about liberalism, she thinks just totally the opposite. We see the same issue but from an entirely different lens. We are polar opposites in how we see the values of each other. She has done a lot for inner city kids in the Lansing area. She's even raising, has raised some if, as if they were her own. She's a very good person. So with all of the different points of view and all of the different value systems we have from people to people, from nation to nation, how do we know what to follow? What is rebellion against God and what isn't? How do we, how do we know? I mean, people see things from different lenses all the time. The very clear answer is to know the Bible and understand what it says. And I would say that in our situation, between her and I, that would be the key. It's very the very Word of God. And if you believe, if what you believe is in opposition to the Bible, if what you think is right is not what the Bible says, you're wrong. Not the Bible. You're wrong. The Bible is unfallible. Continuing to do things your way instead of how God says to believe it puts you in rebellion with Him. We all know how it turns out from our passage in Psalms chapter 2. If you're here today and rebelling against God by rejecting His Son, you are on dangerous ground. I would advise you to heed the warning in those last few verses. Be wise. Have a respectful fear of the Lord. And follow the instructions of Jesus. I'm going to ask Rochelle to come to the piano, keyboard, whatever we call it, I want to end the service 
by singing this is my father's world because it is and he is in control and it doesn't matter what we think you can believe whatever you want but if it's not what the Bible says you're wrong and you'll find out you're wrong someday if you I mean it's the message would provoke a response um, possibly so if you feel like you want to pray you're welcome to come to the altar and we gladly pray with you um, as we sing this is my father's world but this song is really more of a praise to God that he is in control and he is still in awe but we are still in awe of him and that he is he's everything he's the creator and what we think really don't matter we are the ant and he is the big guy so let's respond if you need to respond and and let's rejoice in this song as we sing it would you stand with me this is my father's world and to my listening ears all nature sings and round me rings the come to you in prayer this morning and it has been awesome to reminisce about your mighty power 
and that you are in control of all of this that's going on, even though it seems crazy to us, and it is. You're not surprised. You knew of a man's rebellion before it began, and you've seen it and taken it on many times before, and it will not change the facts that you sit on the throne, that you are in control, and that you will be victorious. Help us, dear Jesus, to remember and to be encouraged by your already victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.